Welcome back. Welcome to Phenomenal Flicks. Welcome back to Phenomenal Flicks, or as I'm calling it in the month of October, Phenomenal Frights, because that's actually really hard to say, but because I think I'm funny and, uh, you know, I wanted to do all horror-related content for the month of October, I am joined, as you can see by the name of this episode, by Ryan Larson, our returning guest, who was on my Jaws episode, still my number one listen-to episode, so congratulations, Ryan. Uh, Say hello. Yeah. Um, hi, thanks for having me back. I'm really excited. Um, Tommy almost didn't ask me back because he thought I was too busy, but I had to remind him that I would make time, I would make time for him because, you know, we've been buddies now for almost a decade, almost a decade. Yeah. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm very stoked to be, I'm stoked to be back and to talk my favorite genre. So, yeah. And we are talking our top 10 underrated horror movies that we have, um, ones that either just did not get a lot, a lot of love um, things that we thought maybe we sh- like should be re- revisited and whatnot, or even things people haven't heard of, which is why I asked you to do this one because you see, I see a lot of horror movies, but you see a lot of horror movies. I mean, you have ends with um, Blumhouse. Um, you're doing some horror film festivals. You're doing what? You said four? Right now right? I'm covering four. Yeah, I'm covering uh, Beyond Fest, uh, Scream Fest, Salem Horror Fest, and Nightstream. Yes, so you see quite a lot and that is what i'm hoping to get out of this episode something that not only could be movies that i need to either see for the first time or revisit but the listeners that i have can see for the first time or even revisit as well um i'm going to not you know fellatio you like i did last time with all your accomplishments you can listen to the beginning of the jaws episode to hear this but ryan i love having you on here because you know and love horror probably more than anyone else i know on this planet and that makes for exciting content and really knowledgeable content so again thanks for coming back on here no thanks for having me tommy i mean um (laughs) i know i yeah once you get involved in the world it's funny just because sometimes you feel like you look at it and you're like i don't know shit compared to these guys so it's always nice to um have friends remind me it's like no you do know a lot you're like oh yeah i do <laughs> all that time and passion i put into it does pay off so of course yes yeah, so you. as i said this is our top 10 underrated horror movies horror gems whatever you want to call it um we're going to go of, of course in descending order um from 10 to 1 and I want to do it every other one. So, you know, you go, I go, you go, I go, and whatnot. But, Ryan, if you want to hit me with your number 10, please go ahead. Uh, cool. So, you know, I, when Tommy tasked me with this, I did, like Tommy said, I do cover a lot. But I don't want to cover too much stuff I've seen recently because um, it hasn't had the test of time yet to see if the audience has figured it out. Um, so I did try to pull movies there are some fairly recent ones too, like things that I like are more recent. And I was just like, more people need to see this. But um, I did pull from kind of every decade, a lot of decades at least. Um, so my number 10 is going to be The Beast Must Die from 1974. Um, it's directed by Paul Annette. It stars um, Peter Cushing, Michael Gambon. Um, I mean, it has a slew of like for that era, big time actors. It's a British production. 
um, why I really love this movie. So The Beast Must Die is basically um, Clue with a werewolf. Um, it's it's like this group of people get stuck in a house and the like under the premise once they're all there that it's it's revealed to them that one of them is a werewolf so they are spending the entire night trying to figure out who the werewolf is um so it's like a murder mystery but with werewolves um and i, I just think it's really fun not a lot of people talk about it it's like a very effective murder mystery and who done it but also laced with like supernatural elements um it has like a kind of you know very different take on werewolves which i always appreciate um and you know it's um it's one of those ones because i know at least for tommy and i and a lot of our friends like uh you know like obviously you have the universal monsters and then you kind of jump into the 80s but like you know there were five decades in between there um and a lot of that horror kind of gets missed because um the 80s was so seminal to us growing up right it was so important to our foundation as horror fans um because of our parents generation obviously and so i think sometimes we miss out on those like 50s 60s 70s era horror um that's one of the things i've been trying to fill in lately so beast must die is one i checked out a couple years ago and i think you guys would have a lot of fun with it like i said just a kind of just like a really crafty um clever murder mystery yeah um i believe i have actually seen this one long time ago old old hammer film at least i think it's a hammer film and they all feel like hammer films that's for sure right um it's one that i would love love to revisit so my number 10 is one from the from 1981 directed by joe dante and it is the howling which is also a werewolf film and it came out the same year as american werewolf in london and the reason i picked this at my number 10 is because when you think of werewolf films now people like you and i who are deep in this genre we can think of the howling but most people either think of uh you know the wolfman or american werewolf in london rightfully so but this film i believe also has some fantastic special effects especially something that's nearly 40 years old uh the performances in it are great especially from uh d wallace who people would remember from uh et and I love the score of this film. I love the look of this film, how kind of like dirty and grainy and violent it is, as well as the sort of comedy aspect that comes along with it because it's horrific and it's scary and it's bloody, but it's also really funny and a little self-aware, which was not seen a lot for a movie, at least in the 80s before Scream came out. And of course, I know you've seen this movie, so I can kind of skip the portion of have you seen the howling right yeah uh no i love the howling um and if you haven't so the howling is one of those movie franchises too um that has like an inordinate amount of sequels um so i got a couple years ago i got a blu-ray that had one through four um and the howling three the marsupials is one of the fucking wildest movies that you will ever see so if you can seek it out i mean two is also that way but the howling or three in particular and then i am also a really big fan of the 2011 howling reborn which is howling eight um and it is a straight up teen scream but based in the howling universe yes um part two is your sister's a werewolf right yep yes that movie's hilarious as well yeah all right, so Ryan, you're, you're number nine. Right, my number nine. Okay, um, cool. So my number nine is Slugs from 1988. 
it, okay. yeah, it is uh, directed by Juan uh, Piquer Simon, who also did Pieces, um, which is a very um, bonkers, absurdist slasher movie from the 80s, um, from the early 80s. Um, Slugs, I came across, I went on a kick a couple months ago. It was before I moved. I had a friend who um, was like, telling me I needed to rewatch the Anaconda and like classic movies. So I did, I was just like, you know what? I've been watching them forever. I'm going to watch them all. So I watched all of them, all of them. Um, and then I got stuck in this when animals attack kick, because even though I grew up in the era of like nineties, when animals attack, so like classic Anaconda, eight legged freaks, I had never really gone back and followed up on all the movies that came basically from the success of jaws. Um, and so slugs, I went in with very minimal expectations. Um, I'm like, they're slugs, right? Like, what is frightening? No, this movie is fantastic. It is a blast. It is a true 80s camp, like, masterpiece. Um, it's about these slugs that um, basically become bloodthirsty and, like, also, like, massively producing. And they, they're in the sewer system of this town. So they start coming out through, like, drains and, and pipes and things like that. Um, and if you get a chance to check it out, it, it was on Amazon Prime when I watched it. I think it's still there. But Slugs is, um, it's just so, it's like shockingly violent um, and super gory and just like really 100% fits in with the camp of the 80s era, um, but is not like for as ridiculous as it sounds, they somehow pull it off, um, which makes it all the more like must-see. Okay, I have never even heard of this and I am, as you were talking, added that to my letterboxed watch list because that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's really. And I'm gonna have to give it a go. Really, really good. Not as good, but still fun as Squirm, which is about worms. But Slugs uh, <laughs> is the superior. All right, and of course, not a, a, a conversation about horror can go by without Ryan mentioning Jaws. Well, yeah, no. And, yeah, <laughs> my number nine is. Uh, and I'm really interested to hear what you think about me putting this at number nine. Is the 2014 film footage horror film as above so below Interesting. yes um which i i'm not a huge found footage guy there's some that i like some that i don't um but it's about a documentary crew experiencing the uh catacombs of paris and it is sort of loosely also based on like the seven layers of hell they get lost in these catacombs they fight not fight but they find and try to escape from what i can only surmise as vampires that are living under there and it is pretty frightening for a found footage movie that again is a genre or a subgenre that i never found too scary but there are a lot of great visceral like jump scares in this a lot of good effects for something that's done found footage wise and they actually used a portion of the catacombs in paris to film it in and it was something that i had absolutely no hopes for going in and was pleasantly surprised by and uh, Ben Feldman is in it, who is, I'm a fan of him. He's like a really underrated actor, in my opinion, who is in the Friday the 13th remake. I just really like him in it. Uh, the mix of the American cast and the French cast, everything's done really well in this movie. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I mean, that movie came out, unfortunately, it suffered from like the glut of found footage that was after the paranormal activity boom. Um, right. where I think people got found footage fatigue, you know? Um, I think we're about to see another found footage boom because of the movie Host that came out earlier this year. Um, but I love As Above, So Below. I think it's really well done, super claustrophobic. Um, 
and it dips into super like metaphysical weirdo esoteric literature stuff because it's basically dante's inferno um so there's like a lot of really cool if you're a literature nerd there's a lot of fun stuff in there yes yeah, good pick tom tom yeah thank you and you're number eight uh cool so my number eight is actually i'm gonna follow up uh found footage with another found footage movie uh my number eight is from 2014 it is a movie called exists um it was directed by eduardo sanchez who did the blair witch project um he also did a segment in vhs um he did the story for the film i think that sanchez it's interesting when we talk about blair witch now because that's a movie that more than any other movie, I think you had to exist in the era that it came out in to really experience it at its peak. Um, it's hard to go back if you've never seen that movie and appreciate it. Like, I, it can be done, but it's it's harder. Um, but I think Sanchez has proven that he knows how to do found footage and exists as a Bigfoot found footage movie um, about these kids that go camping in Texas just, like, to goof off and party and get attacked by Bigfoot. And that's really it. It's just, like this really monstrous savage Bigfoot attacks these kids. Um, but I think it's just really well done. Um, I like Bigfoot is a weird subgenre that I really enjoy and it's hard to come by really good Bigfoot films. Um, another one is Willow Creek, which was by Bobcat Goldthwait. If you ever get a chance to see that, um, but exit and that one's also fun footage, but exists is, um, is one that gets looked over a lot and it's got like really cool the bigfoot itself is really cool looking um you do manage to see it like a couple times it like i mean they obviously tease you with it but you get to see it um and then also just like the movie is pretty like fast-paced um with lots of action which is kind of different for found footage too because a lot of the times they'll build up to the like last five minutes where everything happens but i think this one parses it out pretty well so if you get a chance check out exists um especially if you're in a big if you're a bigfoot completist Okay, perfect. I've also added that to my list because I have not heard of that either. So thank mm -hmm. you. This is, again, one of the reasons I wanted to chew on here. So my number eight is from the year 1968. And it is, it's not considered a true horror movie, but it's more of a crime thriller. I, however, like to put it in the genre of horror, and it's called Targets. And this is a film that has kind of two different parallel stories going on. So one is about uh, it's Boris Karloff in one of his uh, final roles and it's sort of a semi-autobiographical look at his career he's kind of and uh, going to the end of his life and kind of reflecting back on his career as you know a legend in the genre of not only filmmaking but horror filmmaking and then there's also this wholesome character who you see he's kind of a normal young man whose name is tim who starts to go on a killing spree on the University of Austin, Texas campus, and he climbs this tower, this bell tower, and starts to pick off people, hence the name Targets. Now, the way these two movies sort of interact is strangely... Uh, I, I don't know how to put it, but the way the film... The way the two stories interact is very unique as Karloff is telling this story about his life, and then it keeps cutting back and forth to this kid, and you are to assume at the end that Boris Karloff's character is this kid from a previous time. And Targets is a movie that I saw in film school and surprisingly saw about three or four different times in different classes. And it's something that always kind of stuck with me, especially now where you think, 
you should be able to think, oh, no one will be able to go onto a campus and start a shooting spree. But as we know, of course, that still happens. So it's actually relevant today, 50 years later. I haven't seen this one, Tommy. So you know, it doesn't stump me. Um, that's that sounds great. And, you know, Karloff is always uh, – I love Boris Karloff. So that's always um, – I like that I'm this old and I still haven't run out of Karloff movies, though. So – <laughs> yeah, he did what, like about a hundred every year from the nineteen thirties to. I definitely feel like him and uh, Bella and uh, and uh, Cheney were just fucking chomping at the bit for for roles. Yeah, they're like the original porn actors, where it's like I did a hundred films. Yep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, Ryan, your number seven. Uh, cool. So number seven is this is a goofy one, um, and people always think I'm kidding when I talk about it, but I actually really, really like this movie. It's called Phantom of the Mall: Eric's Revenge from 1989. Um, yeah, it's uh, directed by Richard Freeman, who did Scared Stiff and Doom Asylum before it, which are both like total B um, horror movies as well. Um, it's starring a very young Pauly Shore. Um, and then a very middle-aged Best Fair Fairchild. Um, and, okay, so Phantom of the Mall is this movie that... So we didn't get enough horror in malls, right? Like, I really wish in the heyday of malls we got more horror because it's a perfect setup for horror movies. Like, Chopping Mall proves that. Like, this idea of, like, kids being in the mall after that it, after it's closed, they can't get out, and they're so, like, because of the variety of stores... Um, especially in the 80s back then, like, you know, you had, like, every type of store. You had electronic stores, you had game stores, you had sports stores, you had camping stores, you had all this stuff in the mall. So there was all this, like, so much fun to be had. Um, and Phantom of the Mall is literally 100% just a ripoff of Phantom of the Opera. Um, Eric is a kid who, like, falls in love and gets burned and haunts the mall. Um, and so he lives in, like, you know, if you've ever worked in a mall and you've had to take the trash out and you got to go through all those corridors that are like inside the mall, he lives like deep, deep inside the mall, technically in the ventilation room, um, where he just like sits in there running around, staring at people and like working out, doing bodybuilding. Um, but this movie is super ridiculous. Um, it is melodramatic. It is, um, scene chewing. It is, um, super like there are parts of it that are very like soft core um you know and it's just a lot of fun um and pure 80s bliss of camp and and silly horror so that 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 would be uh that's my next one there and that movie has like no proper release i had to watch it on youtube excellent well good good to know um i've actually heard of this before don't remember seeing it, but I only remember hearing about this because um, for some reason I thought I was a big Polish oh. fan in the 90s. But it's definitely something I would like to check out, especially after hearing your synopsis of it. Synopsis of it. That's a hard word to say. All right. Uh, so my number seven is one that, good Lord, I couldn't even tell you the year this movie got released because it kept getting pushed back and delayed and buried under so many studio interference, but it finally got a Blu-ray release about three or four years ago. And that is a film called the oh Poughkeepsie Tapes, <laughs> which if you have not seen, you can actually view now on Amazon prime. And it is a uh, mockumentary about, um, about law enforcement and lawyers and criminal psychologists talking about this murderer from, I'd say the, late 80s to early 90s up until his supposed death 
in 2001, and there is a lot of grainy and graphic footage to be seen on these tapes. They find thousands of tapes of this man just kind of going around kidnapping children, murdering women and men, and the scene, there's a specific scene where he kidnaps this one woman in her house alone with her boyfriend, and the subsequent tapes have him show him torturing her in a variety of different ways. This is not a fun watch. It's not an easy watch. It's actually very hard to watch. But it is so grossly frightening that I had to include it here. It it is one of the few movies that I say vividly scares the shit out of me anytime I watch it. And I can tell by your reaction that you've also seen this and may have had the same visceral reaction to it. Yeah, I've definitely seen the Poughkeepsie tapes. um, It is not my flavor, (laughs) to put it uh, nicely, I guess. Um, Definitely understand why people say you should see it at least once, and I'll probably only ever see it once. Um, but uh, no, it's it's hard to sit through. It's uh, it's deeply disturbing. Yeah, I can I can definitely attest to that. Like it is a, it is very well made in the sense that like what it sets out to do, it definitely does. Yeah, this is not one like your number seven Phantom of the Mall where you can put it on and be like, oh, let's watch this fun horror movie. This is for people who want to either be frightened or really like some sick pleasure in this sort of shit. And I can maybe fall somewhere in that gray area. Um, So moving on from that, before I get judged too hard, uh, Ryan, your number six. Uh, Cool. So my number six is from 1992 and it is Amityville 1992. It's about time. Um, Directed by Tony Randall, who also did Hellraiser 2. Um, There are a billion um, Amityville movies. There are some though that are technically like can't, they're all together. Um, you can find like a list of the ones that are technically like in the same series, and this is one of them. Um, I think it's like technically number five um, or six, maybe four. I don't know, but um, it's on Shutter right now. If you guys have Shutter, but it's uh, it is definitely like a product of the era. You can tell it's like you know coming out of the eighties, headed into the nineties. Um, it is got this like kind of very um like in your face sexuality about it while also being like very intense and also kind of goofy um it's about a basically it's about a man who brings back a piece of the amityville house to his house and it's that piece which is a clock starts fucking with everything and they start like living in temporal time loops and um also and like people start acting out of order and like weird Amityville-esque stuff starts happening. There's a scene that I'll never forget about where this woman is naked on top of a train set. Um, uh, it is, it must be seen to be believed, but it is wacky, gonzo, bonkers fun um, and definitely worth checking out um, of the Amityville like sequels. I would say this ranks pretty high up. Um, there's another one too about a lamp that I haven't seen, but everyone uh, everyone tells me that one's really good too. But uh, yeah, Amityville 1992, it's about time. Yes, um, I've seen probably the first four or five sequels. I've seen this one, and I would say this is arguably the best Amityville sequel. Not in the way like it really continues from the original so well, but it's just, like you mentioned, a lot of fun, kind of goofy, kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. Not going to scare you like the no, original does in theory. Uh, some 
Yeah, my number six is uh, from director Mike Flanagan, who most people would know from The Haunting of Hill House or Dr. Sleep, um, and that is the film Hush, which came out in 2016. This is about a deaf woman living um, kind of in a secluded area in the woods, and she's stalked by this mask-wearing man who figures out that she is deaf, and then horror and hijinks ensue, and she finds ways to outsmart him. And I really like this one because it, it's it's a basic premise. I mean, it's it's nothing too unique aside from the fact that she's deaf. But Mike Flanagan's fantastic direction mixed with the technical aspects, including the way it's shot, the sound that they're able to do, because there are times where it makes you hear or like feel what this woman would feel. It makes you go deaf at parts is really fantastic. It's pretty creepy. It's something that could happen in real life. And it's available on Netflix for anyone to watch. I don't want to spoil it too much really here because I think this is a movie people should see. But one that, honestly, living in suburbia still kind of scared the pants off me and made me... Yeah, I love this movie. Um, It's a super clever slasher. Um, Kate Siegel's in it. Um, You know, Flanagan loves to reuse actors, so um, she's in it. Um, I mean, that's her husband. So, Um, and... um, no, I totally agree with you. This one's a blast. I, I've seen it. Oh, I've probably watched this like four times with different groups of people because I always just have so much fun with it. It's a great movie to like watch in a party setting because it's, um, I mean, it's very well acted, directed, lots of like really good stingers of like those moments where you're like, oh, so yeah. Yeah. Yes. And th- there's a lot of use of shadow. It, it was very Halloween-esque in that way because this guy's wearing a white mask in this black dark setting so the the white contrast with the black very much and do you actually want to know why i watched this movie first and it actually has nothing huh. to do with mike flanagan it is because the killer in it yeah. was played by john gallagher jr i know from being the lead character in the original broadway production of american idiot so my favorite band is green day i was like i love american idiot i'm gonna watch this because of him and he doesn't sing or dance any Green Day songs, but yes, it was still I a very good movie. Number five. Number five is Killer Party from 1986. Um, it's directed by William Fruitt, uh, written by Barney Cohen, who also wrote Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Um, Killer Party. My favorite I mean, one. It's a great um, Killer Party goes back and forth on being on Amazon Prime or not. Um, I think it is right now. This movie is so ridiculous and so fun. Um, it basically it takes place a, on a college campus, and a fraternity is hosting a costume party. And um, basically, like all this really weird stuff happens, and like just a lot of like kind of bad writing and directing, uh, but it's like really fun because of it. And then. Basically, the movie forgets that it's a slasher until the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie. So it just, like, crams all of these kills in the last 20 minutes of the movie. And they're all, like, ridiculous and over the top. And, like, it throws in this weird, like, demon possession subplot. There's this awesome, like, old-school scuba diver suit. Like, one of those old, like, like Big Daddy from Bioshock ones. Um, I mean, it, it's a very, like strange movie but it i love it i mean i'm a sucker for college campus settings um it takes place in the fall so i love that aesthetic um and then the costume party and the frat house like it hit it hits like a lot of like 
really big uh, like green lights for me. Um, and then just, I mean, it seriously goes from like, oh, this is like your standard kind of like cat and mouse like slasher movie to the end where it's like, what the fuck is happening? Like now there's all this supernatural stuff and like the killer suddenly has like powers and like people are walking on walls and, and all this wild shit. Um, so uh, Killer Party, definitely not seen enough. Um, it's a blast. Yes, I've actually seen that thanks to Amazon Prime uh, telling me I should watch it. So I think I watched it maybe a year or two ago and it is kind of what you said. It forgets it's a slasher movie and then all of a sudden it's the light comes on and the deaths in it. I think the effects are cheesy, but but pretty great. The, the like epitome of 80s effects is what I loved about that Thank movie. You. Good pick. Good pick. Uh, so my number five is a little bit of a cheat, and it's because I had to pick two. And that is the 1976 and the 2014 uh, sequel, or original slash sequel slash remake slash reimagining ah, yes. The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yes, which is a movie that... Uh, both are movies that I think you and I saw around the same time. We've tried to convince our friend Mike, who will be on next week's episode, to watch many, many times. Um, and it is about the loosely based off the 1945, 46 Texarkana Moonlight Murders um, with an unidentified serial killer known as the Phantom Killer. And the 70s version is very much 70s cinema. It's that super plotting, uh, paced slasher movie like proto slashers that you call them that i really enjoy of the time back then not super bloody but when the kills happen you're usually pretty jarred and then the 2014 version like i said is a pseudo prequel or sorry sequel slash remake where kids nowadays and law enforcement now are getting the same type of murders that are based not only off the 1976 film, but the 1946 Texarkana Moonlight Murders. It's very unique the way they were really able to do this sequel. And I I kind of enjoy the fact that you're able to take something real, make a movie out of it, and then also make something out of that movie. It's very screaming. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm a big fan of both. Like you said, the original Proto Slasher is like a very interesting movie in the sense that it... Um, it like at times feels like it's supposed to be a documentary, uh, but then it like switches so that it's not. And then, so like, it's actually kind of like at times, like a lot of the cop stuff is very like hijinks and very like Mayberry PD. Um, but like the actual like killer is terrifying. Very, I mean, inspired by the, by the Zodiac, of course. Uh, and then the 2014 one is one of my all time, like, big huge oh my god like not enough people have seen this movie um it's i think it's incredible i think it's a beautiful movie um like i love uh, brian murphy was involved with it randomly um roberto aguirre Casa wrote it and he is the one who handles all of the afterlife with archie comics um and i absolutely love his script um the cinematography by michael goy is beautiful ludwig Gorenson, who is the beat maker for childish gambino and has gone on to do like composition for star wars um did the sound for this which is fantastic um i absolutely love the 2014 version i think it's visceral i think it's gorgeous um cannot recommend that enough good choice Tom. Tom. thank you this is why i have you on the show because of all of that that you said was you know i i just agree with all of it i mean i didn't even know um 
about Michael Goy being um, a contributor to Childish Gambino, or I knew the Star Wars part, but I mean, you can now that I think about it, I can hear it in the score that I have engraved in my brain. And while I like the 1976 version, I agree with you. The 2014 version is probably one of the smartest and most well done made slashers I've ever seen. And you don't get a lot of great cinematography in slasher movies. And this one really was no yeah, pun intended. I, totally agree. I remember I was just watching it and being like stunned. I was like, whoa, wait, what, what's happening? <laughs> Did you say that was two of your choices? All right. That was that was they were tied at my number. At okay, cool. Five. So five A and five B, got it, and so on and so forth. Got it, so got it, got it. Okay. Yes. Um, cool. Um, so my next one. What number is this for me? So cool. Number four is Popcorn four. from nineteen ninety one, um, directed by Mark Carrier, who this is pretty much the only he ever did. Um, written by Alan Ormsby, and it's it's really odd because Alan Ormsby didn't really do much horror after this. He wrote Mulan, um, but Popcorn is this really smart, very um, like it's you can tell it's made by horror fans. The premise is um, a group of kids starts getting killed off at an all nighter of horror features, um, and. It's very inspired by like William Castle because like the all nighter is doing all these things like throughout the night of movies are happening. Like there's like prop stuff going on to like interact with the crowd, um, and then there's like this legend of like this you know there's like a legend of a guy who worked in the theater that like is also a part of it. Um, I saw Popcorn probably close to ten years ago. I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, it's a wonderful double feature with Matt Day by Joe Dante. If you ever get a chance to go back to back, because they're both love letters to Castle in very different ways. Um, but uh, Scream, I think, just released a blue of it like a year or two ago. If you can find it, it's a really fun, really um, like uh, just streamlined slasher movie with lots of love horror films. Like it is so much a passion project by horror fans. Yes, I actually own that Scream Factory Blu-ray, so very good shout-out to that. This movie is a lot of fun, and I kind of wish I would have put it on my list now, but I'm going to throw that in the honorable mentions category, so very very good choice on that one. Uh, My number four is a film that I maybe would have seen later down the road, but I would not have seen if not for you, and you actually let me borrow this movie years ago when we worked at GameStop together, and that is the... 2011 supernatural horror film The Inkeepers, directed by Ty West. Yes. Um, This, again, is another movie that you were talking about it. I said I need to see it, and so you let me borrow it. I watched it, and it scared the absolute shit out of me. It's about these uh, two employees of this once grand hotel in uh, New England, and they are working the last weekend of operations for it. It's about to close, and they're attempting to document these alleged hauntings that have um, always kind of attracted the build or been attracted to the building. Um, Good Lord. This is, if you don't like a slow paced movie, you're not going to like this movie. However, I do, you do. And this movie is so creepily paced from the moment you find out about the hauntings to the very last second of the movie that I was always on the edge of my seat. And actually the scariest part of the movie 
doesn't come from a scare that relates to a ghost. It actually comes from the main character who was played by Sarah Paxton, hearing some noises, walking around, trying to figure it out. And then Pat Healy, the male, um, very quietly, not trying to scare her, not trying to do anything, goes, don't freak out, I'm right behind you. And the way he says it, the way she reacts, helps you react to the scare. And I think this movie is something everyone needs to see, but obviously not many um, people have seen. That might be your best choice, yeah. I mean, that or town. That or town. I love both. I mean, that <laughs> had a lot of good. Hush is great, too. They're all good. But, like, Innkeepers, man. Um, Ty West, uh, you know, basically creator of the mumble gore genre. Um, this movie. I just, I love this movie. It's so smart. It's, it, it is the precursor to all the A24 shit now. That's like slow, mill dread. But like what it does yes. differently is it's funny. Like this movie is really smart and really funny the whole way through. It's not like it doesn't need its characters to be kind of dour and, and like place in a, like you're not put in these situations where you feel like you're immediately endangered or like you're headed towards danger. Like, in the interactions between Healy and Paxton and then all of the um the like guests are just like really dry um but smart sardonic humor and um and then it like hits you realistically there's like four like scares in this but they're so impactful yeah i love that movie yes yeah the the chemistry between the leads is just top notch from actors a lot of people don't know but should have got more chance. I mean, you might have known Sarah Paxton if you've seen like Aquamarine, but uh, yeah, just uh, uh, yeah, she was also in Shark Night. Uh, we were robbed of Sarah Paxton as a final girl. She was, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the everything about this film. You talked about Town of the Dreaded Sundown being shot beautifully. This movie is shot beautifully. Whoever did the set decorating and able to find the locations as well needs to be commended because this is just a fantastically shot and look like beautiful looking movie. And yeah, like I said at the beginning of that, I would not have seen well, it if awesome. not for you. So thank, uh, so thank yeah, you. No I'm glad I do that. Uh, cool. Right, my number right, three, your number three is a movie and you guys like everyone's going to be so pissed about my number one because the movies I'm putting behind it. But um, my number three is spring from 2014. Um, it's written and directed by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Uh, it stars Lou Taylor Pucci and Nadia Helker. Um, if you've seen the Evil Dead remake, Lou Taylor Pucci is, um, I just forget his name in the movie, but he's the character that like, you know, somehow miraculously survives every injury known to man. Um, <clears throat> yes. Um, oh, the Kurt Cobain looking dude. This movie is, so... If you're not familiar with Moorhead and Benson's work, they are two of the absolute best genre creators right now. Um, they did a movie called Resolution. They did another movie called The Endless. Um, and they just had a movie come out, or it's coming out, called Synchronic. Um, they're two of my very favorite filmmakers in horror. And Spring is wonderful. because So it's 2014, right? And it's a movie about... This kid becomes basically like an expat in the in modern day. He like moves to Europe, you know, um, and he falls in love with this woman who ends up being this like centuries old creature. Um, and it is definitely like horror tinged, but it is a love story through and through. And it is beautifully done. It's just incredibly romantic somehow and 
very passionate and very real and genuine. And even though it is still like a horror movie and this woman has to like kill people to live or she does kill people, like it's, it never loses sight of the fact that what it's truly about is their love story. Um, and I think horror and love is one of the hardest things to get right. Um, and the fact that they, and like, you know, there's a difference between like, a character quote unquote loving someone and then two characters being in love and these two characters are very much in love um and it's just i mean it's shot in europe it's just gorgeous um very minimalist very like indie um but they made their budget is incredible it's it's a hundred percent messy okay cool um another one i have added to my list so thank you uh, my number three is the film from 2007. It is a love letter to 80 slashers, and that is Adam Green's Hatchet, which yeah, I could yeah, you knew I was going to pick this one. I could have put a lot of 80 slashers on here, but while I do enjoy and love a lot of random 80 slashers, I don't think a lot of people need to see them because they are indeed cheesy, and they are for the most part not great. Um, however, I think Hatchet is because it takes all of the things that inspired filmmakers today to make film. So the effects that were in this, the the nostalgic cameos, because you get Kane Hodder, you get Robert England, you get, well, I guess not Daniel Harris in this one, but she became the main character in the second, third, and sort of the fourth. Um, the comedy about this, because it's not a film that takes itself too seriously. It is just a kid who grew up in the 80s willingness and drive to make something that he wanted he loved seeing back in the day and i'm not going to say that hatchet is you know fantastic cinema but it is a testament to no budget being able to create pretty spectacular effects getting some actors that may not have been huge but were in a lot of things including um got uh, joel david moore who was in dodgeball and later avatar and um, Tamara Feldman as well, who I knew from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Smallville. But just, I'm, I'm getting off track here. Um, just a super bloody, fun, jokingly, lovingly love letter to 80 slasher films. And I've actually met everyone that's in these movies because I went to the premiere for Hatchet 3. So I have this cool poster signed by the entire cast. And it's something that's just super special. Yep. And I mean, I agree with everything you said. Hatchet's a blast. I like all of them. Like, I mean, I like everything pretty much Adam Green has done. So uh, that's a great choice. Uh, yeah. And also, like, that movie. Thank you. If you're listening and you want a movie that kind of feels like Halloween, that movie does take place, like, around Halloween time in New Orleans. So it can, uh, it was, it, it can uh, scratch yes. that itch for you. <clears throat> yeah. And then the sequels also bring in a lot of other horror icons, such as. Uh, Tony Todd. Uh, you get D. Snyder's kid in there randomly. Um, God, who am I missing? What's her, uh, Felicia mm -hmm. Rose from Sleepaway Camp? Yeah. You get a lot of like small and fun horror cameos. Derek Mears. You get to see Jason go up against three? Jason. Okay. That's in three. Yes. Uh, okay, my number two is right, Stage Ryan, Fright from two. 2014, um, directed by Drum Sable, who didn't do much else. He did a short called The Legend of Beaver Dam, which I think is also worth checking out. Um, this movie stars Minnie Driver and Meatloaf. Um, this is a horror musical, um, and it takes place at a theater camp. 
where they are putting on a showing of Madame Butterfly. And like the two kids, there are two kids that are raised by the guy who owns the camp. Um, and their mother was killed um, on a, after a showing of Madame Butterfly. So like, there's this whole like, kind of like legend and, and f like urban legend behind it. Um, and basically killings start happening at the camp. Um, there is this like really dope Geisha inspired um, like like uh, glam metal inspired killer who is like very much like Freddy has a ton of one liners and they're all like theater um like they're all like uh, theater puns um and like there's regular singing but anytime the killer shows up it's like really like rock metal like glam um I just think this movie is a ton of fun I'm a sucker for horror musicals we don't get enough of them um. And this is just one that, like, I love everything about it. It's super glossy. It's, like, um, you know, having Meatloaf in it. And then the theater – I was a theater kid growing up. And if you're a theater kid, there's so much, like, dead on about growing up as a theater kid here. Like, all the jokes are going to land for you. The killer's super fun. Um, yeah, I just had a, I had a blast with Stage Fright. I, that is a freaking great pick. And I almost put that as my number 10. Oh, uh, that I movie, love the Apocalypse, another horror musical. Yeah. Yeah. So those, uh, those get two thumbs up from both of us. Cause, uh, God, stage mm -hmm. right of inspired Pixar. Thank you very much. Um, my number two is I'm going to probably get a little flack for this, not from you, but I think from anyone listening, because I picked, a kid-friendly horror film. Um, we always talk, you and I, a lot of times have texted about kid-friendly horror films that kind of got us into horror, such as like Monster Squad or even like for kids mm -hmm. nowadays, I hope something like Monster House got them into it. But this movie is 2012 oh, so stop-motion animated film, Paranorman. Yes, which is, in my opinion, from one of the best-kept secret um, production companies Leica, who's also done Coraline and Kubo and the Two Strings, and um, oh god, what was the last one that they just did? Um, Missing Link. And this film is about a kid whose name is Norman who can communicate with ghosts and he has to end a 300 year old witch's curse. This movie is pretty spooky, especially if you're like, you know, if you have kids, this would be a great entry into it. It'll probably scare them a little bit, but it's also fun. Um, has a great message about it, especially about bullying. And what was actually surprising, but so inspired was um, the main character, Norman, his sister has the crush on kind of the big, the big dumb jock. And it turns out that he's gay and it's not like, you know, the stereotypical, we're going to make fun of the gay thing. He just goes, Oh, I'm gay. And you find out that there's a gay character in a kid's movie, which was not really known back then which i think is just a plus to it as well but paranorman is great especially if you have kids or even if you don't just kind of watch it on your own because it's a lot of fun a little spooky and just looks great yep well. uh great pick um i love paranorman and i think it's truly like one of the best kids horror movies it's um it's like you said man it's it's really great animation it's a very much a story about like being an outsider and um being like learning to be accepted um the gay thing is not played for anything other than the fact that he is a gay, gay character that exists in this world which i love like it's not you know he it's just one of those things where like yep he's gay and he exists because that's like the real world um 
Yeah. So no, I love um, all of that stuff. Paranormal is great. Um, and I agree with you. Like it. Leica is just a, 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 the studio that just like keeps putting stuff out that, that uh, we don't give enough credit to. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Ryan, um, do you have any honorable mentions? I know I didn't mention like, Hey, do you have yeah. Um, so got, like, I mean, um, talking about stage fright, and then you brought up Anna and the apocalypse. Um, it's definitely one you should check out. It's a zombie Christmas musical. I literally listen to that soundtrack all the time. It's that good. Um, I like listen to it on its own. Um, so that is a really like really great one that you should probably check out if you haven't seen. Um, I'll do a couple like newer ones. I just want people to check out. Um, after midnight just came out, it's Jeremy Gardner. It's, um, I keep saying it's like if Richard Linklater made a horror movie, it's Richard Link or it's, um, it's, uh, Jeremy Gardner and Bria Grant. Um, and it's basically just like, a, it's like a love story. It's about this guy who gets left by his wife. And then like this monster starts showing up. It's always after midnight showing up at this house. And the house was kind of like the, the crux of like left. And there's all these like different like kind of questions and metaphors that are brought up and you're even wondering you're like is this monster station of his guilt for like chasing his wife away um and it's just really really well done and incredibly like um genuine and charming um and then uh you know still not seen enough although the horror community i think digs it a lot but everyone should um r.i.p anton yelkin um and then to tag on to like you know uh nazi punk fuck off like that movie is brutal and savage and so well done and then i'll even stack on top of it anton yelkin's fright night which um a lot of people yeah yeah great remake a lot of people yes, really good especially remake. of the older generation are like no because it is pretty drastically different than the fright night like original like it's just the Fright Night original is a, a masterpiece, right? It's a great movie, but this one, like, this one's very glossy, and they do a lot of, like, updated stuff in it, and, like, I really love it. I really, really have a lot of fun with that Fright Night um, remake, so check that one out, too. Um, and then, oh, and Cursed, obviously. That's not my number okay, one, cool. but, like, I feel like I'm... No. <laughs> no. Uh, I feel like I don't even have to mention Cursed anymore, but, like, no. Cursed. <laughs> 2006, Cursed. Um, uh, Wes Craven. Um... You know, werewolf movie, uh, the incredible cast, Jesse Eisenberg, Christina Ricci, Joshua Jackson, Milo Ventimiglia. Um, I mean, you can find tons of stuff. I've even written about Curse on the internet, so go check it out. Um, no, my number one, and this is, like I said, it's going to surprise a lot of people. So this movie is, um, <laughs> uh, this movie is called The Hollow. It's from 2004. Yeah. Uh, directed by Kevin Newman, who did Fanboys. Thing. Um, written by um, Hans Rudinoff, who like randomly would write the Man Thing movie that went straight to sci-fi. It's not very good, um, but it stars Kaylee Cuoco, Kevin Zegers, Judge Reinhold, Stacey Keach, um, Nick Carter. Randomly, this was a made-for-TV ABC Family Halloween movie, um, and it is a new spin on the the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, um, and it's. I mean, it's basically everything we've ever seen from Sleepy Hollow, right? But, like, it does – it just does all the things I love about Halloween and horror movies. It takes place in this quiet town of Sleepy Hollow, um, you know, where everyone gets super into the, the legend. And, like, for Halloween, they do a haunted hayride. And, you know, we find out that um, Kevin Seeger's character is related to Ichabod Crane. So, like, the, the horseman comes back. This movie is like surprisingly violent for a movie that was made for TV. Like there's full on decapitation in it. Um, 
it totally like follows all the slasher tropes. Like we get like teens having premarital sex and we get like, you know, his, like he doesn't get along with his parents and there's a redemption arc for them. Um, Stacey Keish is a drunk, like groundskeeper on a, in a graveyard. Um, Kaylee Kuoko, like right in the middle of being famous. Cause it's after eight simple rules, but before big bang theory, um, I just love everything about this movie. It's so like, you can only find it on YouTube now. So the quality isn't great, but it's just like a lot of fun. Like the whole movie feels like Halloween. It feels like, like just really fun, straightforward horror. And even though there's not like blood because it was made for TV, like we still get some violence. And um, I just love, obviously like Sleepy Hollow, Timber and Sleepy Hollow is a masterpiece and a classic. And um, I just don't think we get enough Headless Horseman stories. Um, and this one is, it, it, it takes the Headless Horseman and it implements him into my favorite subgenre um, both of my favorite subgenres, which are slashers and teen screams. And so it makes a, a slasher, teen scream, headless horseman movie. Um, so that's a hundred percent my shit. And I watch it every single year. I usually actually kick off my October with it. I even did it this year. I literally, after I moved, like I, I was kind of like dragging my feet on getting my room all put together. I put my TV up the day, October 1st and watch this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I knew this was going to be your number one pick. Another movie I probably never would have seen if not for you, because another one you let me borrow randomly when we worked together, and it is exactly what you said. So much fun. Um, I mean, you said everything that I could possibly say. So this was actually in my honorable mentions, and again, mostly because of you. Um, this film, The Hollow, of course, and then I also put in Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, which you just mentioned, which you would think a Tim Burton movie doesn't need to be underrated, but I feel like Sleepy Hollow is one of his more underrated movies. And it's got Johnny Depp in it, so if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Um, I picked Adam Green's Frozen as another honorable mention. I think this movie is just fear-inducing, and even though it's in an open spot, it is so claustrophobic and keeps you kind of... Also, by the way, Frozen is also throwing Kevin's ears. my last honorable mention (laughs) is... Oh, please. Yes, yes, it does. And uh, my last two honorable mentions were the ones I said almost went to my number 10, which would have been Anna and the Apocalypse and Stage Fright, which we kind of just talked about. So my number one most underrated horror film is one that I tout constantly. It's on Shutter right now. You can watch it. It is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which I think is, aside from Scream, the smartest slasher movie out there it is a mockumentary sort of like in the vein of um uh the poughkeepsie tapes but unlike that it's a lot more fun and a lot less you know visceral um it's about a documentary group they're uh grad students who run uh they run into or they sorry let me try this again they get in contact with this man who claims to be leslie vernon an old town legend from this uh, fictional town in Maryland called Glen Echo, and they follow him around to kind of see how it works, and it's a homage to the slasher genre while also taking a look at journalism, so you get a lot of behind-the-scenes of what a slasher goes through. The guy, Leslie Vernon, says, like, oh, Michael Michael Myers, as if he's just an old-town buddy, like, oh, yeah, Mike, you know, is really good with cardio, so it looks like when everyone's running, it makes it look like he's walking, and that's how he keep, keeps up with them, and he talks about like sleight of hand and it's connecting to how like Jason Voorhees was able to move from one spot to another and appear out of nowhere and whatnot. It is 
just a smart, funny, kind of dark, kind of ridiculous, fantastic slasher movie that I think everybody needs to see. And it is a crime that 14 years later we still have um, yeah. the Yeah, I mean, great pick. That's one of my... Um... Like, that's one of my go-tos for people who have seen, like, the base level of slasher stuff, you know? Like, once you... Because I really feel like you can't appreciate this movie until you have seen a good amount. Not, like, you need to understand the slasher trap standards, but, like, to appreciate this movie. Yes. So, like, anytime I have friends who, have, like, start getting into horror movies, I'm like, what do you watch? You know? And they're like, oh, I really love slashers. I've seen all the screams, all the nightmares, all the, you know, Halloweens. I'm like, okay, so now watch behind the mask because it's going to take everything those movies does and deconstruct it in a super smart and intelligent way. Um, that's also like really funny. And then like, I think you're right. Like that movie gets very dark in the library scene. Like when, when that library scene hits you, like it takes a sharp uh, yes. 90 like uh, degree turn and you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that's a excellent, excellent choice. Um, <laughs> and it is a crime that we haven't got that sequel yet. Yes, and this film also, um, they you know, they mentioned Freddy Krueger, and ironically, Robert England has a small part in it. Um, you also get a cameo from Zelda Rubenstein, who is from Poltergeist, and Scott Wilson, who people would know as Herschel from The Walking Dead, amongst other things. It is just the movie. Like, I think you said it best. Um, once you've seen Scream, once you've seen Halloween, once you've seen Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and whatnot, then you watch this, and you can kind of have fun at all the... All the um, not so subtle cheapness of those movies like the what's the word i'm looking for the comedic aspects like oh i would never trip and fall and then the people end up tripping and falling and whatnot like i would never go into that room i would grab a weapon and they deconstruct every single thing you say you would do in a horror movie the correct yep. way they tackle yeah. all the great cliches pull. great 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 pull in the i can't way. i can't uh i forgot about that one it's, it's it's hard too. I will say this. So like when you task me with this, it's kind of hard because you get in a bubble, right? So like, especially when you're a horror journalist, like you get in this bubble where, you know, a lot of like the people, the loudest voices around me are like my peers on Twitter who we all love and know and love Leslie Vernon, right? Like, I mean, it's a huge, in the horror world, it's huge, but then you step outside of it for a second and people are like, what is that? <laughs> and so like, I think like, a lot, and I'm glad that, you know, we were able to come from both angles because a lot of the movies that you brought up in my head, I'm like, no, that's too big. But then when I take a step back, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's not. Like Hatchet, um, Behind the Mask, uh, like uh, As Above, So Below, like all of those. And then I'm like, nope, they're just like heavily touted in the horror circles, but outside of horror, barely known. Right. Well, perfect. Ryan, I want to thank you for joining me on this. This was absolutely fun. You gave me, let me count this real quick. One, two, three, four, five movies I had never heard of or have not seen in a minute that I'm going to definitely check out. Uh, the number one that sounds fantastic is either Slugs or Phantom of the Mall. I cannot wait to look at those. But if you haven't seen any of these movies, obviously you have the two of us saying, hey, see these, watch these. Ryan might not agree with the Poughkeepsie tapes, but you have... 19 pretty decent, pretty fun, interesting movies to take a look at. And through different subgenres as well. We have slashers, we have mockumentaries, we have body horror, we've got possession. So there is a lot 
to see here. Um, especially Ryan gave you the gist of where to see some of them. Some you can see on YouTube, others on Amazon, others on Shutter. So you've got a lot of different avenues to go about seeing these movies. And look and listen and watch anything you can of Ryan's through Ghastly Grinning, through Consequence of Sound, which he's now writing for, through you can find him on Rotten Tomatoes, like I mentioned last time, and discover horror the way that we did as kids, but discover a lot of new things and old things as well. Uh, I mean, the, um, like the big one that I want um, to point people towards is We Are Horror, which is the magazine I founded. Um, it's an online, like it's an easing. It comes out by monthly. Our first issue is already out, which is basically our first issue is on um, kind of the other and um, the origins of horror, but from um, a perspective outside of um, white men. <laughs> and... Um, our second issue, by the time this episode goes live, I don't know, but our second issue is out October 15th, and it's all slashers. Um, but if you can, check it out. Um, it's all funded through patrons, um, and the magazine is 80% of every issue is guaranteed to be from female writers, writers from the LGBTQIA community, um, POC, indigenous, disabled writers. Um, we try to make sure that we're champion championing and um, giving platform to marginalized voices um and there's different tiers four bucks gets you the magazine eight bucks gets you the magazine and we have a slew of um columnists who write uh for the patreon account so you usually get like two to four articles from that as well um that's the big thing i i don't write for it i don't make any money off of it it's literally just about like bolstering others and and giving voice making room at the table so if you can i encourage you to check that out Yeah, um, and if you're a fan of horror movies, I'm looking at the Patreon right now. You get $1 a month, get you the tree level, which is a nice little nod at Female Heroine from Happy Death Day. The $4 a month is Nancy, obviously from Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. And the $8 a month, I should have known you would pick this one, Sydney from Scream. So, uh, you know, subscribe to that. Even if you can't, even if you have no interest in the magazine, you can always throw the dollar down to help support all these great journalists and artists that ryan has just mentioned so ryan again i want to thank you for joining me um uh, no uh, that's ryan, my instagram ryan twitter is ryan uh, yeah no, you're good um yeah instagram is ryan rice left uh, uh twitter is at ryan larson i was on twitter hella early so i got my name <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right man well again thank you and i'm gonna start saying this to all my guests because you broke the news to me the other day that one of my uh, favorite guitar players of all time, Eddie Van Halen, passed away. Um, he had cancer, so you never, unfortunately, especially in these times, really know when your time's up. So, Ryan, love you too, Tommy. I love you. you. Thank you. Keep up all the good work. Yep. Yeah. All right, everyone. Stay phenomenal.